you're a generalist and if you are good in multiple things, then you have a lot of options. You have a lot of career paths to choose from. Today, I don't think it matters to be an expert in just one thing. I don't think it matters as much as it used to be. So if you are good at few things, even if you're not uh, an expert in just one thing, but good at few things, I think that is still quite valuable. I found it quite advantageous because I have multiple paths to choose from. I always have multiple options. Even if I look for a job, I have multiple options I could take because you also gather this experience in these multiple things. Hey everyone, my name is Henry Suryavirawan. And you're listening to the Tech Lead Journal, the show where I'll be bringing you the greatest technical leaders, practitioners, and thought leaders in the industry to discuss about their journey, ideas, and practices that we all can learn and apply to build a highly performing technical team and to make an impact in your personal work. So let's dive into our journal. Hello everyone, I hope you're doing great today. It is really my pleasure to be back here again with another new episode of the Tech Lead Journal podcast. Thank you for taking your time tuning in and listening to this episode. If this is your first time listening to Tech Lead Journal, don't forget to subscribe and follow this show on your podcast app and also the social media on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you've been listening and enjoying this podcast and love the type of content that I'm producing, will you support the show by subscribing as a patron at techlegionaldev slash patron and support me in my journey to produce great episodes every week. Every now and then in the tech industry, we often hear about the debate between becoming a polyglot developer versus a specialist developer or technologist. And this kind of debate sometimes becomes a source of confusion, especially for people who are about to or just starting out in the tech industry. When I started my career back then, it was also a similar problem, although the technology choices and languages were much lesser back then. My guest for today's episode is Deepu Sashidharan. Deepu is a polyglot developer and a senior developer advocate for DevOps at Okta. I'm inviting Deepu to hear some perspectives from a polyglot developer and someone who has successfully done it for quite some time. In this episode, Deepu shared why he consciously becomes a polyglot and generalist developer. He emphasized the importance of knowing more than one thing, be it programming languages, frameworks, or tech stacks, in the current rapidly changing technology industry, when every week or month, new things are being invented and thus more things for us to learn. Deepu also gave practical tips for new engineers who are starting out their career and shared his technique to learn new stuff, including new programming languages, by building personal indexes. I'm sure this technique may resonate with a lot of us, and it is an effective technique that I frequently use for myself. Our conversation then moved on to discuss about the current interview practices trend and why Deepu thinks it is broken and needs to change, especially to make it more inclusive and less biased. Towards the end, Deepu shared about developer experience, a topic that he is highly passionate about, on why it is now becoming more important to have a good developer experience, and he shared some golden tips on how we can build a good developer experience. I enjoyed my conversation with Deepu, learning his perspective on being a polyglot and generalist developer, and his insightful tips for building a good developer experience. And if you also like this episode, please leave a rating and review on your podcast app, 
and share some comments on the social media on what you enjoy from this episode. Your reviews and comments are one of the best ways to help me spread this podcast to more people. And it is my hope that they can also benefit from all the contents in this podcast. So let's get our episode started right after our sponsor message. Are you looking for a new cool swag? Taglit Journal now offers you some swags that you can purchase online. These swags are printed on demand based on your preference and will be delivered safely to you all over the world where shipping is available. Check out all the cool swags available by visiting techleadjournal.dev shop. And don't forget to brag yourself once you receive any of those swags. Hey everyone, welcome back to another new episode of the Tech Lead Journal. Today I have with me a guest named Deepu Sashidharan. He's actually a developer advocate at Okta. Okta is like a product for security, single sign-on and things like that. Today, Deepu has gladly joined this podcast to share his experience. So we'll be talking a lot about developer experience, developer advocacy, and a few things about him personally as well. For example, being polyglot developers and things like that. So welcome to the show, Deepu. Looking forward for this conversation. Yeah. Hey, thank you, Henry. Thank you for the introduction. Happy and glad to be here. So Deepu, maybe in the beginning for people who don't know you yet, can you introduce yourself, maybe sharing about your highlights or turning points in your career? Yeah, sure. I think I had a pretty interesting career path, non-standard, I would say, probably not that much. These days I'm meeting a lot of people who had similar paths as well, but at least I thought it was non-standard because I started out as electrical and electronics engineer. That's what I studied in college. I was quite fascinated with robotics and I really wanted to become a robotics engineer or an astronomer. This is the path that I saw for myself when I was in high school or when I was in college. So I was like, okay, either astrophysics, astronomy or robotics. But yeah, it seems like the universe had different plans for me. I think back in India, when I was finishing my college, it was also the time of the recession, I think the 2008 recession. So jobs were not that many to be found, especially in robotics that was becoming impossible to find at that point. So I was like, okay, I need to pay the bills, student loans to be repaid. Okay, I need a job. Seems like IT companies are still hiring a lot. So why not I just give it a try? I think Tata Consultancy was one of the humongous IT companies in India, which hires like in the hundreds of thousands every year. So they were hiring in my college and I was like, okay, I'm going to give this a shot. So I tried and somehow I made it. I was surprised. I don't know anything about programming unless you count a little bit of flash and action script that I have done in order to create some 3D stuff for random things. I started actually started learning programming at their training. They had like a six months bootcamp kind of thing. So I started learning Doctor Scheme. That was a programming language I actually seriously started to learn. I did some C++ before that. I learned a little bit of C++, but that was mostly to help my girlfriend back then. So I wasn't actually interested in learning that. I actually started paying attention when they were teaching Doctor Scheme. And I figured, hey, seems like I'm good at programming. So I was like, okay, this could be an interesting career. And then I started working on Java projects. That was my first standard language that I started to work with. Yeah, I started enjoying programming as well. So I thought, okay, this is not bad. This is nice. I quite enjoy programming and I like the challenges there. I like the technology stuff. So I made a career out of that. I also worked in Singapore for five years. I know that you live in Singapore. So that was quite nice. That was again with Tata Consultancy. Then I moved to the Netherlands, joined a startup here. That is when I started going out of my comfort zone of Java, JavaScript and started plunging into other languages, widen my tech bandwidth or whatever. Then I actually started liking trying different languages, doing different things. I figured that I get bored easily. So that kind of helped me going. So yeah, that was my career. 
so now I ended up at Okta. I just joined recently as a developer advocate. From a developer, I plunged into the developer advocate career path because I also figured I enjoy doing multiple things like being a developer, being a community person, you know, talking to users, talking to community, building communities, teaching, writing, and all these things. So I think developer advocacy is the only role where I could do all these and get paid for that. So that was an obvious choice for me. Thanks for sharing your story. I think very interesting that you said in the beginning, you did not come from a computer science background. And then you had to learn programming languages along the way. And in fact, looking at your current profile, your current blog, for example, you associate yourself as someone who can use multiple languages or what people call polyglot developers these days. So it's very interesting, like how did you achieve that? Because there are so many developers who wants to be polyglot, but probably there are challenges, right? Learning new languages, mm -hmm. probably not so easy for some of them. So maybe we'll just go through that journey together with you about yeah. being a polyglot developer. So first of all, how do you actually overcome the challenge of learning multiple languages? Yeah, before that, I think most people in tech, especially programmers, I think they're polyglot. It's just that we don't acknowledge it that way because I'm pretty sure it will be hard to find someone who only works in one language, right? Every programmer in their career path would have worked with at least two, three languages. It's just that they're comfortable with one. And so they just call themselves as a Java or JavaScript engineer, but they would always end up working with a few other things, at least like some scripting with some language or something like that. So most of us do that. I think the only difference is I predominantly try to do that, like consciously try to keep switching languages and I don't have preferences in terms of, hey, this is the language I would do everything in kind of thing. I try to choose the language based on the use case and or the purpose. So I think that probably is the only difference and I'm probably comfortable with doing that. I know I can be equally productive in these languages. I think that's the only difference. I don't think it's that difficult. Of course, it takes a little bit getting used to in the beginning. Because when I started out, as I mentioned, I did a few languages in the beginning, but I never used them frequently. So only languages I frequently used were Java and JavaScript. And then I started writing, doing code in Go and Scala and Groovy and these kind of things. I didn't stick too much with uh, Scala or Groovy. I did a lot with Go. And then I started doing stuff with Rust. So I figured, okay, I can do multiple languages and I can pick up more languages easily once I start doing more languages. So it's like a chain reaction, right? So once I learned Go, it was easy for me to pick up another language. And once I learned Rust, then I started looking into something for C-sharp. Once you know four or five languages, it's quite easy because you start seeing patterns. Like if you know Java, C-sharp is quite easy to pick up. It's quite similar. All these modern languages, they have something or the other from the other. And all these languages are copying each other. They are getting features from one to another. So now they are so homogenized that it's not like learning something entirely from scratch. It's more like looking at a language and seeing, hey, okay, how much of this is similar to the ones that I already know? How much is new and what is the part that I need to learn? So that's my approach. My advice for people who would like to be comfortable in multiple languages would be to learn the base concepts of programming itself. So be good in those, like learn those properly, then learn the language semantics, not syntax. I never learn language syntax because I think now we have enough tools and technology around us where we actually don't have to buy hard a language's syntax. Every IDE will help you with the syntax. You don't have to learn that. So I, I focus more on the semantics and the concepts that the language offers. For example, when I was learning Rust, I was more interested in learning about the unique memory management that Rust does and the features that Rust have, which is not found in the other languages I knew. So those were the areas I focused on because for the other part, I don't have to learn how to write a for loop. It's a for loop. The syntax will differ. That's it. Other than that, it's a for loop. So those kind of things you can just reuse. You just rely on your IDE for syntax. In the beginning, it would be a slightly steep learning curve. But once you start doing that, you'll notice that okay, it's becoming easier and easier. 
it's like practice it becomes easier and after few languages i'm pretty sure you can pick up another language in a week so thanks for sharing that tips i like the way that you mentioned that focus on the language semantics not syntax and also yeah. the base concept programming i think almost any language would still apply except maybe few yeah. paradigm difference but in the first place do you think that everyone should go into this polyglot mindset because is it advantages in your point of view that we have to master few programming languages again it would be hard to say that this is the you know silver bullet kind of thing but as a person who has been in the industry for over a decade and who is quite interested in technology trends and someone who follow and write about technology trends one thing i have observed is that entire world is becoming more and more digitalized and covid has helped fasten that the world is digitalized and every company wants to be an it company it's unavoidable that in future maybe 5 years down the line or 10 years down the line it is already the biggest industry in terms of job market and all those things but it's going to keep on expanding there's going to be more rapid innovations and the amount of innovations is going to double it's going to double and it's going to go exponential it would be hard to keep up with stuff first so if you are someone who is only focusing on one thing like a language or a particular framework it would be easy to be in a position where you are not required anymore. because you never know when something new comes up and destroys something which was already there i mean we never expected something like kubernetes to be this widespread right like when we were doing enterprise servers and these kind of things so those kind of sudden technological innovations could wipe out something that you were focusing on so if that happens and if you are not a generalist then it might be difficult for you to move on get adapted and find a new job and these kind of things i'm not saying it is impossible of course it would be possible to learn something new and move but that would put you in a much harder position and your options would be much more constrained but if you are a polyglot developer or a generalist i'm a generalist polyglot late so if you are a generalist and if you are good in multiple things then you have a lot of options you have a lot of career paths to choose from today i don't think it matters to be an expert in just one thing i don't think it matters as much as it used to be so if you are good at few things even if you are not an expert in just one thing but good at few things i think that is still quite valuable I found it quite advantageous because I have multiple paths to choose from I always have multiple options even if I look for a job I have multiple options I could take because you also gather this experience in these multiple things but on the other side it's also not for everyone I would say matches with my personality probably but doesn't mean that it would match with everyone probably I have a little bit of ADHD so it goes well with this but probably not for everyone so I can't just say that hey this is the way but this is also a good way it didn't used to be considered a good way because i know that when i started out my career everyone would give me advice that hey focus on one thing learn one language learn these frameworks and be good at that don't try to do everything that is wrong i would say this is also a very valid career path i know a lot of people who are generalist polyglots who are doing really good so if you think that this is your cup of tea that this is the things that you want to do and if you get bored easily of doing one thing then yeah this is a perfectly valid path as well Thanks for mentioning about the balance between being focused on one thing versus multiple things. But for youngsters who just started their career and as mm-hmm. you can tell in the technology industry these days there are so many things not yeah, just yeah. in one programming languages but there are other <clears throat> concepts like from infrastructure, cloud, frameworks, even devices and all that. So it seems like for yeah. people who just started this can be really overwhelming. What really would be your advice? Actually, I know like for people like you and me, we have been in the industry around for quite yeah. a number of years. We have been exposed to multiple things. But what about for yeah. those youngsters? Is it wise for them to start straight away with multiple things or is it just to focus on a few things in the beginning? Yeah, for someone starting out, I would say that the better would be to go one by one. 
because if you start doing multiple things at the beginning indeed would be overwhelming and it would be hard for you to get established in the beginning so in the beginning i think it would be nice for people who are starting out to focus on one language or i would say don't focus on just one framework kind of thing that probably won't be a smart choice but at least take one language learn few things in that language learn few frameworks or stuff in that language get a little bit established in that and then diversify so it should be like a tree your learning path in my opinion should be like a tree you start from one point you just branch out if you try to do everything in parallel then probably it might be harder to focus it might be harder to establish in one thing so that's what i did i just branched out that is what i do now i don't try to learn two things at the same time i learn one once i am okay with that then i try something else. so I, i i branch out kind of thing i think that's probably a smarter choice i would say and especially if you're starting out if you start with one language and a year down the line if you think that hey probably this wasn't the best option you still learned a lot like in terms of concepts and experience you can apply that in another thing so you're not going to miss out on anything the important thing especially for the trend that we are going in and for the direction that their industry is going in would be definitely to bet on at least two <laughs> things not just one you never know i think some languages that we know that they are going to stay around for a while like javascript they are not going anywhere they are going to be around for at least another 10 years but the newer ones like for example go or these kind of things it is quite widely adopted and everything but you never know when that interest and that hype train will die down so you don't want to put all your effort into something like that i would say if you are starting out now it would be nice to maybe start out with a very established language like java javascript python or something like that which has a lot of legacy also because of that <laughs> it's safe to assume that it will be around for another at least another decade because it will be hard to get rid of things which are there for a long time so it would be safer to start with something like that because you also have a huge ecosystem and community which would help you to learn then you can diversify into newer languages be up to date with the new trend as well because i do believe modern languages like rust especially are going to displace a lot of these languages that has been around for a while it may not happen overnight but there is already a momentum and it will happen at some point there are going to be newer languages and with newer generation of programmers and engineers coming out it's going to be more and more adopted and they are going to displace the older ones but you still have at least a decade i would say So I know this next question might not be applicable for everyone but can you share your normal flow how do you learn new language mm-hmm. because you have been mastering a few languages so when you pick up a new one what would you do maybe some tips for people who yeah. probably will find your way is suitable for them Yeah definitely I don't know if this is like a proper way that would work for everyone it's just something that works for me so I don't know how far this can be generalized but for me again when I started out with java and javascript that was different but later when I started learning new languages my approach is always to first take the language and compare it with the languages I already know so when I started learning go the first thing I did was compare it with javascript and java and see how much I can reuse the knowledge what are the things that are similar okay these are similar okay callbacks in go looks quite similar like javascript so I don't have to start from scratch I already know how callbacks works I just need to know the syntax of it maybe if there are edge cases or exceptional scenarios that worked out quite well for me because i figured i could learn things faster again as i said i i don't focus on learning the syntax i just focus on learning the concepts when i encounter a concept i try to compare it with what i already know then it's easy for me to say okay this is the difference for me it gets ingrained faster when i do that kind of comparison and the more i do that it becomes natural for me for example after three four languages when i started learning rust i expected the learning curve to be exponential because rust has a lot of advanced language features and it's known to have a very steep learning curve 
but i didn't feel that way in the beginning it was a bit overwhelming especially some of the new concepts but in a week i was extremely comfortable except for few advanced concepts i was like okay yeah this is familiar it doesn't seem hard and when i actually started building something concrete in it it was quite easy for me to get started and apply my knowledge from other languages of course there would be times when i had to look up a specific thing in that language but still all that knowledge from the other languages did help me because you could always think about hey how would you do it in that language okay let me compare how you do it in this language then you see patterns for example if you are doing uh, threading in rust this is how you do threading in java so let's see how it differs from rust you learn about okay you can do threading much more nicely if you are using say for example shared channels and stuff like that that's the way that i do i don't know if it will work for everyone if you're starting out new probably might be harder because you might not have a lot of languages that you can compare with another thing i do is i learn in the open i try to learn in the open and i try to learn by teaching as well so for example whenever i write a blog topic i try to write about something that i am not extremely good at so i take something which i know enough but i am not an expert then the first thing is okay i need to write about this i make an outline and i'm like okay these are the things i know these are the things i'm not really good at or these are the things that i need to improve learn that first and then write about that then i keep repeating and i keep repeating that unless i'm satisfied with the content that i have produced that kind of helps me learn as well i think producing content is a very good way to learn as well because that kind of pushes you to get the best content out of what you don't know or doesn't know especially if you are trying to get out of something that you are not an expert in then that forces you to learn look up and since you are writing about that it gets ingrained so these are the things that kind of helps me learn thanks for sharing this one common trick like learning in the open writing about something yeah. that you are not expert mm-hmm. in because a lot of people has this misconception that if you want to write something about a blog or maybe publish something mm-hmm. you have to be good at it you want people <laughs> to think that okay you are the expert get the likes and things like that but actually sometimes it's not true right thanks for sharing that tip so that you can also learn by doing and publishing it openly you yes. do the research you learn from the way <laughs> and also people give comments i think that's also something not to be yeah, missed yeah <laughs> yeah some people would give that critical comments for you to also grow so you mentioned a couple of things about using tools this is i think also something that cannot be missed because for example tools are plenty these days there are ides autocomplete yeah. mm-hmm. maybe documentations maybe you can share a little bit on this because i know you have this concept about building a search index for yourself so maybe you can share <laughs> yeah yeah that. yeah yeah definitely i'll talk about being a generalist because this ties back to that at least personally for me the amount of data that i can store in my memory is limited i'm not very good at remembering stuff i don't have a photographic memory or anything i'm quite absent minded i forget stuff a lot but i figured what i was good at was making indexes so i could vaguely remember stuff but not in detail so i build indexes that's how i'm also able to work in many languages work in many different domains or keep switching from whatever language based things to devops or whatever and i'm extremely confident that i can get into any technical domain and i can pick it up in a week and start writing about that stuff for example like and pretend to be an expert in something in a week so i don't try to memorize stuff or i don't try to become an expert in something i just try to index stuff so if i come across something if i come across a new tool or a new feature in a language or like a new framework i'm like okay this exists and i know what it relates to like a kubernetes tool for example if i see something like k3d for example i'm like there is something like k3d it is for kubernetes and it does this that's the end of it that's how much i want to remember i don't want to know anything more than that so i put that in the index and the next time when i have a need for something like that then i could look in my index 
So that is when I go to Google or go to their documentation site and I look, what does it exactly do and how to do it? So that has helped me a lot. I honestly don't have any shame in saying that I Google a lot. Most of us, I think everyone do that. And if you say that you don't do, then probably I wouldn't trust you. <laughs> it is smarter to use all the tools that you have to be more productive than to try to do everything yourself. For me, that is a smarter way. So if you have internet connection where you can look for stuff, why do you want to store that in your memory? Memory is more precious. Data hard disks are cheaper. So you know, use your memory for uh, more precious things and put all these things in, 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 in let, let it all be in the internet, which you can look up anywhere, anytime. I would say more people should just be open about that so that especially people who start out, they don't get overwhelmed or they don't think that, hey, there is so much thing I need to learn. How am I going to learn all this thing? How am I going to put all this into use? Only things you should be good at is your logical thinking and your problem solving abilities. You shouldn't be hired for being a fact memorizer. You should be hired for being a problem solver. And how you solve the problem is up to you. It's nobody else's business. So that's also why I think I'm quite against the hiring practices in our industry. I write about that in my blog. I always reject interviews whenever they say, hey, there is a live coding part. No, if you're not convinced that I'm good enough for you by looking at my profile or by talking to me, then probably you're not good enough to judge someone who is technical. Then I don't want to work there because that is not how I'm going to work. So if you want to evaluate me, then this is how you should evaluate me, not with uh, whiteboarding and live coding. We can actually go to there because we know that interview sometimes is, you can say it's broken. Sometimes the trend of the industry is going that way. Plus there are new SaaS products like HackerRank or maybe whatever yeah, that yeah. is. Can you maybe elaborate? Why do you think that interview process is broken? Because it seems like so many big tech companies, startups and all that, they seem to drill a lot in all these algorithms, whiteboarding. Maybe yeah, you can yeah. share a little bit more. I would say it's a toxic culture, especially from all these big companies. Because again, as I mentioned, it's not realistic. Why can't you just give your future employees the same tools and the same environment that your current employees have? Because you want them to work that way. If you want someone to work in certain environment, why don't you give the same environment when you evaluate them? Maybe they'll perform better. I have a huge anxiety when I have to do something in front of someone else, especially a stranger. And I'm pretty sure I have imposter syndrome because whenever someone suddenly comes behind me and if I'm writing a code, then I just freeze. It's just anxiety. There was a study from a university which also showed that these kind of interview practices is more biased towards women, especially. They put the same set of women through live coding and coding in their comfortable environment. And all of them performed much better when they were in a comfortable environment with someone not watching over them. So I think these kind of interview practices, they're quite old. They all come from maybe before we had all these tools and smart IDs and stuff. It was probably from the time when everyone who was doing computer science was someone who did computer science in their university or from the time when most of the work was writing algorithms and stuff. But nobody is writing algorithms every day these days. If you are in some sort of research role or some specific positions and maybe for those positions, it's fine to do that kind of interviews. But why do you want to drill someone about knowing algorithms and being able to memorize and repeat something in a whiteboard for building websites? So that's unrealistic and it just puts anxiety and performance anxiety and these kind of things in people. Nowadays, at least with the awareness of mental health and everything, it's a known fact that when you put someone under pressure, they're not going to perform better. That is like the worst myth that if you put someone under pressure, they'll perform better. No, that's not the case. If you put someone under pressure, they are going to perform worse. So why do you want to do that in an interview? Whenever I was in this job searching phases, first thing I would ask you, okay, what is your process? If the process has these kind of red flags, I'm like, no, I don't want to work in that company. 
Of course, I know that it's probably is not something that everyone can do, especially if you're desperate for a job or if you're starting out. I could do that because I had a solid profile where I know that I would have multiple options I could choose from. But on the other side, I know if you're just trying to get a job, it might not be a realistic way to reject interviews. But that's a sad fact. That's why I think that our industry as a whole should change. There is this website called They Whiteboarded Me, where people write their experiences about these companies. And there is an index of all the companies which does this and all the companies which doesn't do these. You can know if someone is technically good enough or not just by talking to them. If you are unable to do that, then probably the problem is on your side, not, not their side. If you are technically good, then you should be able to tell if someone is technically good or not just by talking to them. Thanks for sharing this. They whiteboarded me. I think it's an interesting <laughs> website. I haven't seen it before. So maybe yeah, I should check it out. But yeah, I agree. Sometimes all these interview practices seems to be influenced by the big tech giants. Everyone just seems to follow suit. But yeah, there are yeah, many exactly. ways of how interviews can be done, right? Maybe let's move on from this controversial topic for people who, <laughs> <laughs> who think they have the right way of interviewing. So you seem yeah. to have worked in a lot of developer experience setup. Previously, you worked in open source projects. Now you are a developer advocate and previously as well. You seem to have interesting ideas about developer experience. Can you maybe in the first place explain what is actually developer experience and why do you think we should care about it? Yeah, I think this view also solidified when I was working in my previous company. I used to work for IDN where we were building out a developer experience team. So I was always interested in developer experience because of my association with JHipster, which I co-lead with a few other awesome folks. We always used to care about how the experience would be for our end users who are developers. In my previous companies, part of my job was also to think about that. Like we were building tools to make that experience better for developers. So I think that experience has solidified that view for me. Developer experience is extremely important in today's IT world or even in the future when IT is going to be more and more widespread and every company is going to be an IT company and there's going to be more companies building tools and services for developers. So developers are going to be like a huge market or market of user base, which has to be handled slightly different from general users. User experience for developers is not exactly the same as user experience in general. So that's the takeaway. It's similar to how user experience was looked at 10 years ago. 10 years ago, user experience was not something that you would always factor in when you're building an application. I have been in projects where user experience was not cared for at all 10 years ago. Nobody would care about that. UX people in general in development teams was not that common 10 years ago. But now it is unimaginable, right? Now, if you're building a user-facing product and if you don't have proper UX folks in your team, then people are going to laugh at you. People are going to be like, are you even serious about building? So that shift has happened in terms of user experience. People know the need for that. Everyone has realized how important user experience is for success of your product. It is standardized. User experience is a must-have now. I think the same transition has to happen for developer experience because there are lots and lots of companies that are building services and tools for developers. These companies have to treat developers as the primary users and work towards their user experience. So it's slightly different from general user experience, right? Because these are for technical products. Things that you might consider great for normal user experience might not be applicable here. If you're building a CLI tool, your general user experience guidelines might not be 100% applicable. It might be slightly different. I mean, on a CLI, people might want things differently. So you have to cater for that. And if you're building a service that is consumed by developers, then you'd have to think about the experience of using your APIs or the experience of using your SDKs. Developer experience here would be the inverse of how annoying it is to use your product, I would say. I wrote about these things in my blog. I recently wrote about what developer experience is and why it is important in detail. I think I wrote about all these topics in my blog. 
So I think that is the shift that needs to happen in developer experience in terms of making sure developers using your product are not annoyed. So the less annoyed they are, the more happy they're going to be, the better developer experience they're going to get, and the likely chances of them recommending the product to their colleagues or their friends or just spreading the good words by word of mouth, which is quite important, right? Especially in uh, developer circles, it is quite easy to find people who are extremely opinionated and probably you would have seen that. All of us in the IT world would have seen that. When people like a product, they're very opinionated about that and they will defend that product. It's not going to benefit them in any way. We have this tribal mentality when it comes to all these things, right? Like if I like a language, I'm going to defend that. So that's going to happen. Why that happens is because these products, they care about their developers and they have built that experience so that the people using their products have become so loyal that they are ready to defend your product to a stranger and they are ready to go fight a stranger on the internet to defend your product. So that is the kind of developer experience you need to build. If a company is building products for developers and if you are not going to take care of that, then it's going to be very hard for you to be successful especially given developers are much more demanding audience than general users. I agree that developers can be more demanding and even more quirky sometimes. They have no reservation for putting bad comments over the internet and exactly. all the forums. When you say a good developer experience or maybe even annoying developer experience, can you give some tips for people who are building APIs, CLIs, all these developer-centric products and services? What would be your tips in order to ensure good developer experience? Yeah. So again, this is not something that is a silver bullet, right? This is not like the exhaustive list of things that you have to do. This has to do a lot with context, the use case that you're trying to solve, the type of product. So that needs to be taken into account. For example, if you're building APIs as the product consumed by developers, then some of the things that should be taken care of, because it's going to be annoying otherwise. And if something is annoying, then that's not a good developer experience. So I think sticking to highly adopted standards and conventions. That's something that people overlook because when you're starting out, especially for startups building stuff, it's easy for teams to be go fancy and try to come out with something new and shiny, like own conventions. It might be okay if your API is going to be the standard, but if it is on use case or a domain that already exists, then maybe it's better to stick to conventions. I'm not saying copy someone else. I'm saying stick to standard conventions. For example, standard error schemas when you're doing error. There are many standard conventions for that. Stick to standard API guidelines, for example. Stick to REST guidelines, for example. These kind of things would be minor things, but the amount of impact it could have on developer experience is huge. Imagine me being a developer, I have zero interest in your fancy stuff. I use your product to get my work done. So the fastest I could do it, the best experience I'm going to get. The least I have to learn, the better for me. But if you are introducing a product where I have to learn a lot, that's going to be annoying for me because I need to waste my time learning your product. Why should I learn your product? I shouldn't have to learn your product. It should be intuitive. If I see your product, if I already know how REST APIs work, then it should be intuitive for me to use that. I shouldn't have to learn few things you did differently because you thought it would be cool. No, that's not going to cut it. That's going to be bad developer experience for me. So for APIs, that's going to be a huge thing, sticking to conventions and highly adopted standards, good error handling. If I'm using an API and if I cannot figure out what's going wrong, if I have to call up your support to know what's going wrong, then that's not a great experience. Consistent and easy to use documentation. That's extremely important for APIs, like providing API docs or docs where you can actually try out the APIs. Providing SDKs and libraries for APIs. Again, very important because if I'm using an API, I don't want to build all these SDKs myself. If you can just provide those, I'll just happily use that and forget about your API at all. So the sooner I can forget about the API and move on with the next step, the better it is for me. Provide as much help possible for the developers to make sure that they can integrate with you in as little as time as possible without having to learn your product. That's going to be great developer experience. 
they are going to recommend your product to other people they are going to hey this was awesome i could integrate it in half a day and get the work done so which is awesome so that's the kind of developer experience you should be aiming for but if you're building development tools or products then it's going to be a different focus like good ux matters in that if you're building an ide a good user experience matters but not like traditional user experience but it should be tailored towards developers you should put in things that developers like like developers like dark mode okay just provide them switchable themes as good developer experience because then people are not going to be frustrated because there are going to be people who like dark mode there are going to be people who like light mode just give them both provide customizability people are opinionated don't try to push people into certain things it might work for some products but it's not going to work for every product some products might be lucky enough that they push for certain opinionated flows and it just worked for them but if you try to replicate that the chance of it working is going to be quite slim so try to provide more customizability that's good developer experience again make it easy to use and install if i have to use your product i shouldn't have to go through multiple hoops and jump through multiple hoops just to get it installed and started that's going to be really bad first impression already that's already going to be demotivate me from liking the products so make it easy to install anywhere make it cross platform make it available in all those well known package managers so anyone with whatever workflow they have can easily just find and install the product the list goes on depending on the domain that you're trying to tackle there are a lot of things you can do there are researches done on these there are great products that we know and love which we can take as inspiration and follow their lead so maybe if i can just add one more the one thing that i always get annoyed is when i work on a product that has uh, specified something in the docs but it doesn't work as advertised <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. so thanks dipu for your sharing about this developer experience unfortunately due to time we have to cut it short <laughs> so before i let you go normally i have this one last question that i always ask all my guests which is to share the three technical leadership wisdom this is for people mm-hmm. who wants to learn from your journey so what would be your three wisdom to share with people I think the one thing that I keep telling to people especially juniors and people who are starting out is to not get married to a technology or a framework or to a language don't get married to stuff because you see a lot of people who are so religious about the language they work in or a particular framework like react they spend so much focus and energy on just proving to people that hey react is the best kind of thing I used to do that that's why i'm sharing this because i used to be that person i used to be very religious about the technologies that i use the frameworks i like the languages i like but after like a decade you start realizing it doesn't matter technologies are going to come and go frameworks are going to come and go i used to be a huge fan of angular js look at angular js whatever angular we have currently has nothing to do with angular js it's gone new frameworks would come and go especially in the javascript world there is so much churn that things just come and go in months So don't get married to frameworks don't get married to a particular technology not even languages and not even paradigms i hate seeing when people are like i'm so much into functional programming that is the only way no that's not the only way there are multiple ways to do stuff you might like it but don't be that close minded like that there could be times when imperative programming does much better for you than functional programming especially if you are writing a very performance intensive logic and you have to tune every possible millisecond out of that then don't write functional programming there it is a valid way of programming as well or if you want to do oops do object oriented programming doesn't matter so don't get married to these things it's not going to help you in the long run it might feel good in the short term but in the long run i think it would help you much better if you are open minded about things try different things use the right tool for the right situation a lot of people try to have one tool and use it like a hammer on everything but i would prefer to have multiple tools in my toolkit and figure out if the problem is a nail or if it's a screw then use the right one 
because I can get the job done much faster and in a much better way than doing a generic tool. That's why I also believe in being a generalist because if you know multiple things, then your horizon expands and you become more pragmatic. You start seeing problems as problems and try to give solutions and you don't try to treat every problem as something to be solved by something that you already know. Don't get married to anything related to technology. Be open about it, switch around, go with the trend. If you want to, that's fine. But change with the trend also when the trend changes. Don't get stuck to something. Second one I would say would be to rely on tools. This is something that we discussed, right? So I rely on tools a lot. I rely on my IDEs. I predominantly use VS Code for anything non-Java. And I use IntelliJ for Java. That's my preferred tool set. I can't imagine writing code without these. I can't imagine writing Rust or Go or JavaScript without VS Code. If someone asks me to write it in a notepad or Google Doc, I'll be like stuck. I'll be like, I have no idea what to do. So I rely heavily on tools. For me, that's a good thing because my job is to do these kind of things using a tool. So I should optimize for what I should be doing realistically, not something unrealistic. I'm not a competitive programmer or something to do things on those kind of leech code or hacker rank or those kind of things. No, that's not what I'm going to do day in, day out. So I need to optimize for what I do day in, day out. Then day in, day out, I'm going to work on an IDE or a code editor, writing programs or doing whatever. I use all plugins possible to make my workflow simpler and faster. If a tool can do certain things, great, let the tool do it. I started using the Copilot feature from VS Code. It was great. Of course, don't just blindly follow these things. It's perfectly fine to use Stack Overflow, Google, or something like Copilot. But the only thing is, don't just blindly take whatever it gives. Look at what it gives. See if it works for you. If it works, just use it. Similarly, use the tools provided by the language ecosystem. Like for Rust, I always use the linter called Clippy and these kind of things because it gives me nice suggestions and it makes me improve myself. It gives me suggestions that I didn't think of. I get to improve because these tools are becoming much more smarter than us. So I'm pretty sure at some point, these tools are going to be much smarter than us. They can write all the code for us. If that happens, I should be able to utilize that and don't become obsolete. So I should adapt to working with these tools and make myself future-proof. That would be the smart thing to do, I would say. So yeah, rely on tools. The third thing would be to write simple code. Most of the times you don't have to use fancy features or you don't have to write extremely fancy looking code to get the work done. The simpler the code is, the better it is to maintain, the better it is for other people to read. It's overall better. So there is always a simple solution to problems. Right? So always try to find the simplest solution. Don't try to find the fanciest or most complex looking solution. I have seen people doing that especially in programming, there is this urge to show off all your programming skills, right? Especially if you are working with languages like Scala or Rust, where there are a lot of language features, it's easy to just get swayed and try to be as cool as possible in terms of solution. Use all the fancy features. Okay, I need to use this feature here. Then in the end, you end up writing code that is quite unreadable and complex to start with. Probably it might be solving the problem, but it is introducing a lot of other problems on the side. Maintaining that code is going to be really bad. So if you can just get that done with the simplest of the feature possible, please do that. That's going to save a lot of time for a lot of people in the long run. So yeah, so those are the things. Yeah, I like about the simplicity as well. So I learned also recently a few episodes before that actually a simple maintainable code is good for teamwork. And I'm sure yes. a lot of developers these days work in a team rather than solo. So yeah. thanks again for the wisdom, Deepu. So for people who are interested to know more about you or follow you online, where can they find you? I would prefer Twitter because I'm most active on Twitter. So you can find me on Twitter as Deepu105 and on my website as well. So I write about all these things on my website. So you can find it at deepu.tech. 
I have a blog with mostly technical stuff, but I also write about developer experience, hiring in our industry, being a better programmer and these kind of things. So thanks again for your time, Deepu. I wish you good luck with all your work. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. It was so nice of you to have me and I'm so glad I could share these things. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode and for staying right till the end. If you highly enjoyed, please share it with your friends and colleagues who you think would also benefit from listening to this episode. And if you're new to the podcast, make sure to subscribe and leave me a valuable review and feedback. It really, really helps me a lot in order to grow this podcast better. You can also find the full show notes of this conversation on the episode page at techlyjournal.dev website, including the full transcript, interesting quotes and links to the resources and mentions from the conversation. And lastly, make sure to subscribe to the show's mailing list on techlyjournal.dev to get notified for any future episodes. Stay tuned for the next Techly Journal episode. And until then, Goodbye.